Welcome to the Election Ride Home for Tuesday, November 12th, 2019. I'm your host, Chris Higgins, with a summary of election news. Today, is Bloomberg running or not? Deval Patrick might run at the last minute. A New Hampshire poll gives help to candidates for the DNC debates. A pollster weighs in on that poll. The Trump impeachment stuff in three minutes or less. Pence plants a moon tree and the 20th Republican announces his retirement from the House. Here's what you missed today from the campaign trail. First up today, we've got to talk about Michael Bloomberg some more. On Friday, it reported that he had filed papers in Alabama to get on that primary ballot. And today, he filed in Arkansas. So, Is Bloomberg officially running right now? Like, is he on those lists of official primary candidates? Short answer, no. And I find that somewhat surprising. At the moment, Bloomberg is in limbo, intentionally. His options are open, and he has reportedly been in contact with lots of people after floating his possible candidacy last week. But officially, he's not running yet. At least as I say these words, you never know what'll happen later on any given day. On Twitter, Bloomberg has been very quiet, not mentioning his possible run at all, but people close to him have been talking to the media about this possible run, which, you know, seems like a strong indicator that he will jump in. He has staff, and he's calling up the DNC chair and the Biden campaign and stuff like that. Let me read from a New York Magazine article by Gabriel Debedinetti. Quote, The prospect that's making many of the skeptics from the center-left particularly nervous is Bloomberg's entry weakening support for Joe Biden and Pete Buttigieg, arguably the two leading moderates in the race, while also himself not winning. That could clear Warren or Sanders' path to the nomination while giving them reason to go extra heavy on billionaire bashing. Already, both of them have made political hay of yet another tycoon's interest in the race as have others like Andrew Yang, Amy Klobuchar, and Cory Booker. But Bloomberg looks like he's trying to find a way around that outcome, employing a new game plan altogether. The idea is to skip the first four states in the nominating contest where every other candidate has already spent months and millions of dollars, and to instead build up operations in the states that vote in March, when the field will presumably be less crowded. End quote. So this strategy is unusual, to say the least, and every article I've read says it is a losing strategy, but possibly the only option given Bloomberg's late entry into the race. There's just not enough time to set up a real ground operation in, for instance, Iowa. In the remainder of that article I just read from, you get to hear a real mouthful from folks who run those early state primaries and caucuses, and what they think about the idea of a major candidate potentially skipping them. One more tidbit to keep in mind as we wait for a real decision. Bloomberg has said in the past that he would spend $1 billion of his own money if he ever ran for president. So for all the talk of fundraising that we do on this show, a billion is vastly more than all the other candidates from all the parties, all added up, and roughly doubled. So just imagine the imbalance between any candidate and Bloomberg in terms of spending. Now at the very least, that is an interesting thought experiment. And while we're talking last-minute candidates, another big name has popped up in a big way. 
That's Deval Patrick, the former governor of Massachusetts. According to a New York Times article by Jonathan Martin, Patrick has already told Joe Biden that he is considering jumping in as well. Reading from that article, quote, Mr. Patrick, a respected two-term governor and one of the highest-profile black leaders in the party, has told some of the Democratic officials that he doesn't think any of the candidates have established political momentum. And he thinks there is an opening for somebody who can unite both liberal and moderate voters, according to Democrats who have spoken to him. He and some of his top advisors had a meeting Sunday in Boston to discuss what a campaign would look like, according to two Democrats. And on Monday, Mr. Patrick personally began reaching out to potential staffers, telling them he was strongly considering a bid and asking if they'd consider working for his campaign. At the same time, Massachusetts Democrats close to Mr. Patrick have started contacting prominent party leaders in early nominating states to alert them that he may run. End quote. Yeah, so this seems just as plausible as the Bloomberg run, with the minor exception that Patrick did not file in Alabama last week. However, you can still win the Democratic nomination without the Alabama primary. The more important thing, especially for Patrick, would be filing in New Hampshire, which happens to be, you know, right next to Massachusetts, where he was governor from 2007 to 2015. He would have to file that paperwork by this Friday at the latest. And if the media reports are anything to go by, he is seriously considering that option. And now, for wild speculation time, the other thing to watch for this Friday is the possibility of yet more surprise candidates. Again, these could just be folks keeping their options open, or they could be serious, last-minute decision-makers. There are lots of names floating around out there. At the top of that list is Stacey Abrams of Georgia, whom we've covered a lot on this program, and who keeps saying no to this whole presidential race thing, though she has suggested that she'd probably be a yes for a VP spot. Okay, and then there's Hillary Clinton, who has made a point of not publicly saying no when asked whether she might run at the last minute. But to me, that really seems to be her just having a little fun with people who are asking. And then there's Michelle Obama, who actually popped up in a recent poll as having shockingly good odds if she chose to run, at least in this one poll in this one place. I have no actual info on a possible Obama run, though at this point I can't rule her out. At least not until after Friday's filing deadline. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. 
Okay, new week, new polls. I'll make this one quick. A Quinnipiac poll of New Hampshire helped two candidates get closer to the December DNC debate. They are Representative Tulsi Gabbard, who got 6%, and Andrew Yang, who got 4%. Gabbard needs just one more qualifying poll, and Yang needs two, and they've still got a good ways to go before the deadline in December. They are both already in next week's debate, which is good because the cutoff date for polling on that one is tomorrow night. The other candidate to watch for here is Steyer, who didn't pick up any new results today and still needs two more polling results to appear in December. Oh, and one more detail from that poll that comes right from the headline. 54% of those polled in New Hampshire said they would definitely not vote for Michael Bloomberg versus 2% who said they definitely would. That set of Bloomberg questions had a margin of error of plus or minus 5%, but still, yikes. And while we're on the topic of that New Hampshire poll by Quinnipiac, it's worth noting that Gabbard got 6% in an early voting state. That is a really big number for her, and as far as I can tell, it is the single best polling result she has ever gotten in this entire primary cycle, at least if you're looking at these DNC qualifying polls. On Twitter, Nate Silver of 538 dug into the crosstabs. That's the detailed data behind that poll. He posted a screenshot that broke down where the party-level support for various candidates came from. Reading from his two-tweet summary, quote, Lest you make the mistake that Tulsi Gabbard's support is coming from the left, almost all of her support in the QPAC poll of New Hampshire is from voters who describe themselves as conservative or moderate, and almost all from independents and not Democrats. Tulsi is the choice of people who plan to vote in the Democratic primary but don't like Democrats and most of the things Democrats stand for. Those voters are plentiful in the New Hampshire primary, where independents participate in big numbers. End quote. In the image that Silver posts, you can see that of the voters who chose Gabbard as their candidate in New Hampshire, the vast majority of them are independents, while just 1% of them are registered Democrats. As Silver mentioned, independents can and do vote in the New Hampshire Democratic primary. They can use a kind of quick registration that happens on voting day. And now, the impeachment news in three minutes or less. First up, what happened yesterday? The House released more transcripts. This time they covered the closed-door testimony by Christopher Anderson, Laura Cooper, and Catherine Croft. And just to give you a taste of what these transcripts are like, the Cooper transcript by itself is 115 pages long. Yeah, it is double-spaced, but still, that is a hefty document, and it's just one of many that the House continues to release. Okay, now for today. Acting White House Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney tried to get in on that Charles Kupperman lawsuit. That suit will weigh the issue of the White House saying staffers can't testify versus the House saying that they must because they've been, you know, subpoenaed. But Kupperman's lawyer blocked that, and now Mulvaney has backed off, instead saying he just won't show up. No legal case, just don't show up and see what happens. Perhaps the biggest news right now is what is about to happen. Tomorrow, Wednesday, the House will begin public hearings. Reading from The Guardian in a story with no byline, quote, Two officials will testify together on Wednesday morning. George Kent, a Deputy Assistant Secretary of State, 
and Bill Taylor, the acting U.S. ambassador to Ukraine. Taylor's predecessor at the embassy in Kiev, Marie Ivanovich, will testify on Friday. End quote. Okay, and one more bit on why these particular people are speaking in public. Quote, in his closed-door interview last month, Taylor testified to House committees leading the inquiry that he was told military aid to Ukraine was held up as Trump's allies sought public announcements of investigations into Biden's links to Ukraine and supposed Ukrainian interference in the 2016 election. Kent told the committees Trump's personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, led a campaign of lies against Yovanovitch before she was recalled from her post. End quote. You'll be able to watch the impeachment hearings pretty much everywhere. Expect live streams at least from C-SPAN and the major cable networks. The hearings will also be broadcast live on national public radio stations using special coverage. The hearings begin right at 10 a.m. Eastern Time and could run as late as 4.30 p.m. Here's a story where politics meets science. Last week, Vice President Mike Pence planted a tree, but this tree had visited the moon, sort of. Pence planted the American sycamore sapling in the yard by the Naval Observatory, which is basically the vice president's White House. But let me back up to that moon thing for just a moment. Back in 1971, Apollo 14 flew to the moon, and astronaut Stuart Rusa packed a canister of tree seeds as his personal item. Astronauts are allowed to bring a very lightweight amount of stuff with them, and Rusa, who had worked for the Forest Service as a wildfire fighter, decided to bring American trees to space and return them to Earth, kind of to see what would happen to them. Remember, this was 1971. When he got back, the seeds were germinated and they were studied just in case they turned into cool space mutants. Well, no such luck, but they were then planted around the world, usually as symbolic gifts from the U.S. and or celebrations of the bicentennial. In fact, one of them was even planted at the White House itself back in 1977. It was a loblolly pine, and it died. Well, Pence has higher aspirations for his sycamore, which is actually a descendant of the original trees, which were mostly planted, you know, around 40 years ago. Pence planted the tree to highlight the administration's goal to return Americans to the moon within five years. That project is called Artemis, and it has not gotten the funding it needs. Pence is hoping that this tree planting thing will spark some movement in Congress to appropriate the $30 billion required to get that project moving. Now, oddly enough, only two reporters were invited to the tree planting ceremony. One was Jacqueline Feldscher of Politico, and the other was an unnamed kid reporter from Scholastic News. Not kidding. So, given the overall lack of media, I'm just going to go ahead and read from that Politico article. Quote, The government is funded under a continuing resolution that runs through November 21st. If the partisan fights make passing funding bills impossible and Congress enacts a year-long continuing resolution that locks in last year's funding levels, NASA would really be in jeopardy of losing 2024, said Scott Pace, the executive secretary of the recently revived National Space Council, which Pence chairs. Even if Congress can pass funding bills, the top House appropriator for NASA is not on board with the 2024 goal. Why does it suddenly need to speed up the clock by four years? 
time that is needed to carry out a successful program from a science and safety perspective. Representative Jose Serrano, the chairman of the House subcommittee that funds NASA, said at a hearing last month. To a lot of members, the motivation appears to be just a political one, giving President Trump a moon landing in a possible second term should he be re-elected. End quote. And last up today, New York Representative Peter King has become the 20th Republican to announce he will not run again for his House seat in 2020. In fact, he is retiring altogether, which seems totally reasonable to me at age 75. To be clear, of the 20 Republicans leaving the House, four of them are seeking other offices. They're not leaving politics altogether. In a statement, King wrote, quote, The prime reason for my decision was that after 28 years of spending four days a week in Washington, D.C., it is time to end the weekly commute and be home in Seaford. This was not an easy decision. End quote. In 2018, King won 53% of the vote against a Democratic challenger. So that seat might be in play. The Cook Political Report moved that race from likely Republican to lean Republican in an email Monday morning. All right, one final dose of numbers for you today. As I said, King makes 20 Republicans, so far, to step aside from their House seats. So far this year, eight Democrats have done the same, though three of them are running for other offices. Well, that is it for one more episode of the Election Ride Home. I have been your host, Chris Higgins. You can always find me on Twitter, at Chris Higgins. So I mentioned moon trees in today's show. There is a link in the show notes near the bottom to a NASA page tracking where the moon trees are. And you might be surprised to find that one is near you. Years ago, I looked this up and I found that six of them are in Oregon, including one just a short drive away on the campus of Oregon State University in Corvallis. So, of course, I went and visited it. I took a picture of it, though at the time there was a big fence up due to some construction. And I will say, it was cool to be next to a giant tree that had been to the moon on an actual Apollo mission. And it was also a minor bummer that it was not some wild mutant with cool moon modifications, just a nice big tree. So check that list and tell me if you happen to live near a moon tree. As always, thanks for listening, and I will talk to y'all tomorrow.